is Nicole Whitney, News for the Soul, life-changing talk radio from the uplifting to the unexplained. It's a great honor to have you on the show tonight. Welcome, Deepak Chopra. Thank you. Yes, this is... You are listening to the News for the Soul radio network. News for your soul. Life-changing broadcasts to souls around the world since January 1997. Hear all of our previously aired broadcasts of News for the Soul online at newsforthesoul.com. Now let's get back to the show. live i'm getting to do one of my favorite things introduce you to a new actually two new members of the new soul radio family actually one of them met many years ago well she's back and the next level up of what's going on with her work and her partner beth daniels and gil are here we're going to introduce them momentarily i'll just let you know we start with our famous first question no labels up front soul-to-soul meeting, and we unpeel the onion from there, but if you want to read ahead, you can find their full bios and um, all the other information, links, etc., on newsforthesoul.com just by clicking their host picture there. So let's welcome Beth and Gil on and start the fun. Welcome, guys. Welcome to News for the Soul. Hi, Nicole. Hey, Nicole. <laughs> we said that at the same time. Yeah. <laughs> Greetings. Awesome. It's great to be back here. I think it's like uh, 11 years. 11 years. Wow. That's amazing. Well, you know, with the times that we're in now, and uh, you're actually one of many who have returned after hiatuses because of the work that's needed right now on the planet. So not shocked, (laughs) but very happy to reconnect and to meet you, Gil, and get to know both of you on the deeper levels this hour. So I like, this is always tricky when we have two people at once. So we will move forward with our famous question because it's a place that connects us all as a community and a movement here on the soul, the search for what's really real, what's really possible. And that is, we've all had experiences with something outside the 3D norm that's gotten our attention, woken us up, maybe even set us on our path. And I'm curious, about your most your earliest recollection each of you individually of something like that and also your most profound so who'd like to start i think gil does oh that's totally <laughs> set up okay Nicole, can you hear us okay yep perfectly okay there's a little bit of crackling we just wanted to make sure okay go for it all right go. yeah i'll go for it you're, so, you're the newbie on the block yeah um, interestingly enough, I come from an agnostic background, and, um, you know, God really wasn't a big part at all of my family's life. And so um, talk about an early kind of wooing that God had on my heart. It was back when I was in, um, you know, middle school and, and early high school, and he just kept, you know, um, whispering his voice to me that he loved me and didn't hate me. <laughs> and um, there was no guilt or shame associated with this. And um, over time, um, he just made himself really, really clear to me. 
So in college, I had done everything under the sun. I'd worked for three Fortune 500 companies. I had done things um, like, you know, played tennis to the highest levels in Arizona in high school. I was the number one jazz saxophone player there in Arizona as well. And then I took that to college with me. So there was just like things I was doing, you know, dating and drinking and just doing all kinds of things to kind of, um, you know, fill up my heart. And I realized that none of those were going to do that. You know, mm. that there was definitely an empty space there. And that, that space for me, and I don't know if it's like this for your listeners, but that space for me was every night when I went to bed and laid my head on a pillow, you know, I got to play the tape back of that day. And all the things I had done and all the accomplishments and all the kind of the report cards that had come in and everything I had done to fill my heart up. And that, that time with my head on the pillow before I drifted off was always thinking, there's got to be more. Mm. You know, there just does. If I'm going to, you know, walk on this planet for 80 years and I'm going to go to bed every night, no matter what I've done, no matter much, how much money I've made, no matter how many accolades I have, whatever those successes are, and I was working, like, you know, to the bone, there's just, this just doesn't sound like a planet I want to be on for 80 right. years. <laughs> and, you know, God in his goodness just kept whispering to me, you know, I fill that empty space, <laughs> you know. You know, I'm the one who does that. You know, you're, you're, these other things aren't bad things. They're not things that are anything to be, you know, mad about or guilty about or feel shame about. It was just that those things were never meant to be number one. Right. And so when I really got that and that hit me in college, and that was at the time when I just kind of said back to God, like, I'm in. You know, I'm in. This isn't doing it over here, so I'm in with you. And it wasn't a trial basis. It wasn't like I said to God, like, yeah, you better, you know, show up and here's the three things I need you to do. He's not a genie in a bottle. But there was definitely that piece where he came in like a flood. And like flood. Tell us about like that. A, you know, yeah. Yeah, he just came in like a flood for me. And I think in those, in those ways, my mom and dad were going through a nasty divorce. Um, my mom had kicked my brother out of the home because he invited my dad to graduation. I mean, it was a really volatile home. I grew up in an abusive home. And so, you know, there was like, how do I traverse this? You know, how do I, how do I live in wisdom? How do I clock in and check into my higher self? And those things were all God-led, um, down to the smallest things, you know, like when I was sick and I was just feeling absolutely horrible. And I thought I was going to die. And I'd say, okay, God, I, I need you to heal me. Like, is there a way you can do that? And that healing piece then began to happen. Sometimes it was in the moment. Sometimes it took many, many years. But those healings were always there when I called to them. You know, and God would always say to me, do you want to get well? Are you sure? Because <laughs> my answer was yes. It would be, are you sure? Because if you're in, I'm in. But if you need to go do whatever else, then go ahead and try to find that healing somewhere else. But but when you come back, I'll still be here, you know. And so I always found myself dropping breadcrumbs um, away from God <laughs> and following them back. <laughs> and when I followed them back, you know, he was there. And I have a million stories I can tell um, about how that's happened. And that's gone over and over. I've not been perfect in any way, shape, or form. Um, and in my imperfections, he has always been there with his perfections. So, um, yep, I've just seen, you know, from here all around the world, Afghanistan, you know, building cities there, building new towns all over the world. 
um, Poland and other places. I just he just is. There's not a place on this planet that he hasn't met me. Wow. And so my 80 wow. years, man, I want to rock him. And uh, you know, that's right. Nice my home 80. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Yeah, I want them to be the best. Then, of course, you brought Beth along. So that's a whole <laughs> other miracle story. All right. Well, let's <laughs> this is how he plucked me out of the mountains and Beth out of the ocean and put us in Prescott, Arizona, in a little dive hick bar, <laughs> cowboy bar called the Jersey Lily in downtown Prescott and how, you know, just that perfect timing where we intersected together. I mean, that's just a whole other <laughs> miracle story. Um, all right. Well, I, where where are we going to go next? Let's get your first initial earliest memory of your most profound experience with something outside the 3D norm. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I, I've uh, talked about this before, you know, when I sent you the um, information recently, Nicole, and it's probably not the earliest, but I'd say the most profound because um, this has happened over and over since. And um, I had recently lost my grandfather, and he was 89, and um, he had recently died. He was, he was really probably the most important person in my life. And um, he was just uh, the most incredible spiritual man I've ever known and have ever met since. And so he had uh, passed away. And it was interesting because I had joy uh, because I knew he was amazingly good and um, he was good. He was doing great. So I wasn't, everyone's like, man, you're really not crying about losing your grandpa. He's so important to you. Like, yeah, I don't, I'm not, I don't have grief about it. I just know how he lived his life and I know he's continuing that on the other side and everything is great. So I had, you know, he had, um, crossed over probably, I'm not sure, a year or two before, but um, one of his good friends, um, well, my uh, my step-grandma, I guess, his, his wife, uh, was still here, and uh, she still hung around with their great friends, uh, David and Karen, and they were unfortunate, there was an unfortunate accident where uh, David fell and uh, hit his head, and um, my dad called me and told me what happened, and uh, I could see in the moment my grandfather stretched out his arms to welcome David, you know, uh, across the bridge, so to speak. So helped him mm. to the other side. He uh, held out his arms, and I saw it the, the minute my dad told me what happened to David, and I, and I saw my grandfather reaching out for him, and I knew he was going to be the first person that he saw um, and that he wasn't coming back, you know, into this body and into this life. He was He was moving on. And um, I felt so much peace because I knew, you know, it's like, yeah, David is there. He's he's with his old friend. It's all going to be good. And, you know, they're, oh, he's going to, you know, he's going to rally and he's coming back. And, you know, I wasn't, I'm not saying anything. I, it was all really sacred, you know. So I just, mm-hmm. I just knew. And then, yeah, a couple of days later, you know, um, the call came that, you know, he had, he had, uh, transition so that was the beginning for me of seeing um, and not just seeing 
like um, diagnoses or physical problems for my clients, which I see every day with chronic conditions. But seeing beyond that and just being able to see uh, what was true and what was beautiful and how um, spirit moves and yeah, yeah what, what, what is really there for us. There's so much that we don't really know or, you know, as humans, I think we don't really mm. even know how to process sometimes. So that was the first time where I had a picture like that, and then that just happened continually after that. Um, almost every time I'm working with someone over the phone and, and I get pictures about things and they're, um, they're beautiful and they're deep, and I, I uh, try to explain them, you know, as, as we go. But, yeah, that was, a, that was a really profound moment for me. Yes. Well, being able to see and get insight and have direct experience with anything about, you know, death and beyond death is probably one of the most important things we can tap into. Um, and, you so know, I, I think what, what happens, and I'm sorry to interrupt you, but um, I think what happens is we spend so much time in our heads, you know, and we spend so much time, and for the people I work with who typically have chronic health conditions and they really need help, and for them as well, we spend so much time thinking about thinking about it and problems and focusing on them and maybe some on solutions, but we just spend our time with our nose to the grindstone or like on this treadmill of life and this was like this moment of, no, that is not where the truth is. That is not where the truth is. Look up. Look up. Get your nose out of that treadmill, you know. Yeah. Look up and see what's really there and what is this experience really about and what is your divine path really about. What are you here for? What are you doing? You're not here to be sick. Um, so I think that whole scenario just really um, helped me understand that better. And I try to work really hard to help people see that, and it, and it just changes everything for them. Beautiful. I'm curious about the synchronistic story of how you two kids met. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think we should let the storyteller tell the story. Oh, my goodness. Well... I'm in. I'll chime yeah, in. Yeah, chime in. Yeah, go ahead. If I'm missing anything. Yeah, I, I'd like to hear your perspective, yeah. Gil. <laughs> well, I uh, I had come to a place in my life, um, what, three or four years ago, where I was um, I was in a place where, you know, I, I was divorced and a single dad, four kids in high school. They're all teenagers. <laughs> so it was really, really challenging. And... Um, you know, I just hit a wall with that. You know, I've been super, super successful uh, in raising up, you know, large, large churches and seeing really some really great things happen out of Colorado to change, to change towns and cities. I mean, it was really awesome. And and yet I I was hitting a wall. You know, I had a lot of guilt and shame around that divorce piece. And, um, you know, I kind of had I kind of had a movie in mind for me, right? Like I knew what I wanted the movie to look like, and it was actually turning out to be a horror story. So I was like, okay. I wanted it to be Disney, you know, like let's roll with that. And uh, but that wasn't what was happening. And you know, I kind of did. I had a really really tough time where I ended up with the bottle as my as my uh, best friend. And 
I grew up with a bunch of alcoholics. As a matter of fact, you know, generational alcoholism, and I was able to keep that at bay for quite a while, but I was not able to keep it at bay in my mid-40s. And so um, it just became something to soothe the pain uh, of my life. You know, the movie was not turning out the way I, I really saw, saw it fit to do. And so, um, yeah, I kind of wanted off the planet again. You know, at that point, I was like, you know, how do I do that? And kind of a Robin Williams kind of story, you know, in that way of, of being in front of crowds and being able to um, move people, having God really use me in that, and, you know, thousands and thousands of people and um, and still, I was just really frustrated with how things were going with that. I had gotten in a car accident um, a few years before that where my back was, was a, a drunk driver and my back was trashed. And so drinking alcohol was a way to, to calm that pain down. Um, so there's a lot of things around that that had me end up in rehab. So I ended up there back in, gosh, 2018 in, in Prescott, Arizona, and um, was just finishing up inpatient and doing really well. And when I bumped into Beth, my dad and her mom were friends, and they had never um, introduced us. So there was an, there's, you know, yeah, yeah. Beth, Beth was married. I was single for 14 years, but you know, Beth, Beth, Beth was married, but here she wasn't. Um, she was, you know, finally moving into singlehood, and so our folks decided to have us connect. And Beth was only in town for a little bit. I mean, she lives in Hawaii and lives in Hawaii and doing her thing with that, and so. It was really uh, providential that night um, to bump in her. I was actually with, with someone else that night, was just a friend, um, but she was really struggling with a lot of things. And so Beth, I was like, oh, shit, i got to really listen to that, but I really want to, you know, connect with, with this woman who is so fascinating, you know, especially around what she did. So what she did and kind of what my heart was were very, very similar. We complimented each other well. And that night, I mean, the whole, the whole place could have just gone away. And we would have had just a great time um, connecting over a lot of subjects. So at the end of that night, um, I got Beth's card, <laughs> which got stolen from me. <laughs> Somebody took it. Um, and I was like, shoot. So I had to do some work uh, in Prescott to find her number, and I did. Because that's what tenacious people do when they run into someone that they fall in love with. So. <laughs> um, I got her number and I called her and I said, let's set up a little time. And we set up a time at, to talk on the phone and Beth was uh, headed up to Seattle and, um, she forgot. So I called and no one was there. <laughs> and, um, being the tenacious guy that I am, I'm like, well, that had to be an honest mistake. It was. <laughs> and you know, there had to be an honest There's no way. Oh, yeah. No way she wouldn't want to talk to me. <laughs> I'm just kidding. But, um. I did. I was like, okay, maybe, maybe that, but I'm going to keep going. So I called her again and you answered that time. And I go, <laughs> yeah. and I go, so did what happened with our little phone date? And she was, I don't know what you said, but you got out of it. I was with my daughter. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, yeah. Yeah. I had forgotten, but truth be told, Nicole, I mean, I was going through a divorce and he thought, I thought that he had a girlfriend. So, you know, I thought he had a girlfriend. He showed up at this event, you know, with this girl. So um, I was happy to find out he didn't. But the truth of the matter is, the part that, that um, Gil did not say, which is, I think, awesome, is, well, first of all, the second we met each other, it's like we started talking about spiritual things. Yeah. I mean, who does that? <laughs> so, yeah. um, 
we connected immediately about really deep things and about healing others and how do you help other people heal yet still set good boundaries, you know, for your own life. And uh, we got into all of this right away and how, you know, sensitive people... Burnout, yeah, how sensitive healers really are and how you need to protect that. And, I mean, we were just getting into all these amazing topics, and then my mom's like, well, we got to go. <laughs> like, oh, shoot, the dog needs to eat. But um, so we left, but it, that was, it was really awesome. But the second, yeah. I, one thing I have to share, um, and I shared at our wedding, is when Gil walked in, I was sitting at a table with my mom. It was kind of a pre-Christmas party at this, you know, cowboy saloon, literally. And uh, I saw Gil from the back. And I knew that my mom's, my mom's friend Jerry's son was going to be there. And I didn't know who he was or what he looked like or anything. So I saw him from the back first. I was just sitting at a table, and I saw how huge his heart was from the back. Ooh. It was it was just, again, it was like one of those visions, right? I, I just saw it, and I'm like, wow, I wonder who that is. Um, I don't typically go around seeing the size of people's hearts, just so you know. <laughs> <laughs> so it was just right there. And I was like, I wonder who that is. And then he turned around and came over to the table, and I was like, whoa, that must be Jerry's son. So that was really the uh, entry into our connection. Yeah, and I saw Beth, and I thought, and God really reminded she's hot. That's, <laughs> that's, what, that's what happens for me. So that's really deep. I just wanted to share that. <laughs> <laughs> I, it, was, yeah. it was really it was a lightning bolt from heaven because she's blonde. So somehow, <laughs> um, anyway, there's a lot there, but I'll, uh, I won't unpack it. But uh, all I have to say is that, yeah, so we, we connected there, and then, we probably talked on the phone for three or four hours a night for a couple of months, and then Beth came back out to Prescott, and then we started to kind of plan what we could do. So um, it was just, yeah, it was just, I really like what Beth said, right? It's like, and if there, anybody of your listeners is a healer, they, they will get this, right? It's like we, we pour ourselves out continually, and then rarely is there a sponge. We're like a sponge, right? And we're looking for water somewhere to fill back up because we're going to squeeze that, we're going to squeeze that sponge out on others that are hurting. And so we really connected over, you know, what's your water source? You know, yeah. what, are you, what are you doing to fill back yeah. up your, the, you know, the sponge of your heart? Because lots of healers get taken out. You know, there's, there's, I think there's a lot of spiritual battle that occurs with people who step out there to say, mm-hmm. I really want to help. I want to help others find their purpose in life. And I want them to find, you know, themselves. I want to really help them take next steps. And so, um, you know, we were able to come really quick to how burned out are you, <laughs> you know, and how burned out are you, and, you know, what what are you doing with that? Because, you know, I didn't need to ask Beth about her prolific healing life because all you have to do is sit down with Beth for about five minutes and you'll understand just how, I mean, she's the most powerful and gentle healer I've ever met. That's why she has a global, she has a global reach. You know, she has people all over the world that call in to talk to her because her heartbeat is so, so locked in. And, and so even today, we, you know, we talked about it last night. You know, we, we look at each other and go, how are you doing with all that? You know, how's it going when, you know, when you just got done with these five people today that were really, 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 really tough? I mean, only, to be honest, only those who have basically been told they have no hope call Beth. 
And mm. a lot of times, you know, yeah, and Beth does, man. She is like the last house on the block for these people. And, and she's like this big spiritual triage at the end of the block that people bump into um, on their way to really complete helplessness and, and I, I would say even um, depression, like that goes deep. And so Beth gets, it's that group of people, and Beth leans into that amazingly. I love it. Yeah. I love it. I mean, that's, that's what I'm here to do. And, and it's really wild because most days at the end of the day, I have a lot more energy and I'm more invigorated than I was in the morning by far because it invigorates me and excites me to help people change their life. You know, I, when I met you, I was going through a lot of personal hardship, and that really takes me down. Um, the work that I do does the opposite. It's just invigorating to watch people's lives change, like, over over a day or, or longer, depending. But, yeah, it, it's um, – oh, thank you, Gil, for saying that. Mm. Well, yes, when you're on purpose, it's not work. It's, you know, when you're serving, it's yeah. very – Yeah, exactly. Energizing. It feeds you. I'm curious, Gil um, – you know, I want to ask you this question because since all this COVID crap, um, a lot of people have been dealing with a lot of stuff, including alcohol addiction has been high, widely prevalent globally since all the lockdowns and shutting down of, you know, spiritual centers and all entertainment industry and travel and, ugh, you know. So um, I'm wondering what you did. How did you overcome it? As far as getting through COVID? No, the alcohol addiction. Just for, I'm just oh, that, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'd love to talk about that. Yeah, that's his uh, – no, I get to brag on him for a second before he talks. Seriously, <laughs> <laughs> um, the, the um, failure rate of people that go through rehab is 99%, literally. 1% make it. And, and hold it. So people that work with him get to hold that healing and not go back. So wow. he is amazing in this. He will not say that, so I'm going to say that before I let him talk about it because I, I've never seen such a thing. I've never seen such beauty come from just these ashes of dark addiction and what he does to help people through that. So I have to say that first. Now, now you can talk. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, I, yeah. Well, I, I mean, I think that the number one thing, and I ask every guy this, you know, do you have the gift of desperation? You know, if, if you don't have that gift, that desperate soul, that rebel soul, which is awesome, um, I mean, I have a rebel soul. And um, if I can set that into the right channel, right, yeah. it's like – so, like, if I can find the Gulf Stream, you know, and I get my, if I get my, you know, if I get aligned with the Gulf Stream, I'm going to be in great shape, right? So, I mean, a straw can actually let the Gulf Stream go through it as long as that straw is in alignment with the Gulf Stream. So, most people are not in alignment with that. And so, and by the way, that's a gift, too, because it can, it'll get them to the gift of desperation. I mean, I like what C.S. Lewis said, right? Like, pain is God's megaphone to rouse a hurting world. And I think that that is, it's a great thing when someone says, you know, man, I'm, I'm struggling. And so for me, it was all or nothing. And I mean that like it was, I did not have a point percentage when I dealt with my alcoholism that was saying, I think I can do this. 
I've only been beat by two things in my life. I mean, I've been beat by other, but I mean, I'm talking about incredible Hulk slammed in my life. And that was a marriage that I had that um, I was, I mean, I, out of everything I could do, it was not going to make it. And then, um, and then alcohol. So those, so those, and I, and I just tell people that, right? I mean, I got incredible Hulk slammed by those two things. And it's okay to say that, you know? Um, and I think I had to become comfortable with that to say, you know what? This is my path, and, and, I, and I'm, I'm in with this, and I'm also going to go with this, like, gift of desperation piece. So um, when, I, when I was there uh, every day, and I probably did, I don't know, upwards of 700-plus meetings with groups and sitting down with some of the best spiritual directors um, in the world and, and sitting down and, and, and really picking up the, the Buddhist practice of meditation, I mean, really learning what that means and how to do it. It's kind of like mental and spiritual yoga. And being able to hold those kind of spaces, both in groups and, and my own self, where my inner voice became very, very clear, where I realized I had bulldozed some values that I held near and dear. You know, I had this vision for my life and all this thing I wanted to be, and I bulldozed some things that I really counted as sacred. And I was really, um, I really wanted to see that healed, and I wanted to see that um, dealt with because... I was willing to go back and oh, it was really hard, but I was really able to go back and walk through my childhood. And um, I have a boy, his name is Cade, and Cade is so tender-hearted. He's like me, like we're really highly sensitive people. And what helped me so much was thinking, if I were to treat Cade the way I was treated, I mean, I just started weeping. like. You know, just to be able to go back and hold that kid um, that I was, rather than look at it like, well, I couldn't overcome it. I must suck. You know, this is really bad. God, whatever. You know, it's like, no, that 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 little boy back there needs held. And that, and I mean, I know that sounds corny, and maybe it sounds corny to some of your listeners, but I'm telling you, it's true. When that boy can be held by you, <laughs> your own, you can go back and walk through that childhood trauma in a really, really healthy way. It's hard, and there's a lot of tears, and there's a lot of fighting with that, and there's a lot of, you know, even some anger and some bitterness and some resentment. And, and to be honest, I hated, as much as I hated my dad, as much as I hated whatever, you know, my ex, whatever it would be that I've ever said, oh, that was whatever, I hated myself even more. And that's where the, the, that's where the real devastation and tragicness happens is when other people's voices then become yours, and they're not healthy. So I got to go back and unwrap all that. And, I mean, I'm talking like with everything I had, I had a guy that sat next to me during a meeting. He was 72 years old, and he was with the Washington Post. He was a, a journalist. And during one meeting, and I'm like, I'm writing books. My journal is being packed out. I think I was, you would think I was writing a Tom Clancy novel. And this guy, this Washington Post guy next to me goes, you know, Gil, I'd give anything to be able to read what you're writing. And um, I said, really, anything? <laughs> but, you know, I, I think that, that was my posture was really, really, um, I needed mercy and I needed help. And, and I ended up coming to a place that I was able to ask for it, which most people don't. So, um, and now I help people through it. And, um, you know, anger, anxiety, and addiction, those three. Most guys I know, those three are tied together. And when I say addiction, I don't mean just alcoholism. I'm talking about isms workaholism, 
busyism. Um, it, it, you name it. I mean, it's not. It's you know, sportsism. Whatever it is that you're throwing your heart into to, to mute and numb all that pain, um, that's an ism. And so, I really help guys see it as okay. It's normal. We live in a broken world. That's okay. And that you know, I'm in it with you. And you, you know, before long, they're telling me things that they've never told their wives. And I think that's really, really important. Or just any friends they've ever had. And they're like, well, because they're so waiting on the slap. They're waiting on the you suck. They're waiting on you get an F. They're waiting on the shame and guilt that goes with this stuff. And I'm like, nope. And when they can put down those really harsh weapons and just come, then, then God starts to do his work. And then I just walk them through all of that. And, you know, I have like, you know, I don't know, eight, eight modules that I just walk through. And but really I do person by person. You know, everybody's got a distinct story. Not everybody's the same. And so – it's like anything else. It's like, hey, I want to walk you through this, but I want to walk it through in a unique way that is really you, because we're gonna we're gonna mold this and we're gonna we're gonna um, shape this. We're gonna you know, you're going through an entire life remodeling right now. So we're we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna go through that, and and it doesn't have to be very long, you know. Um, I've had guys say to me, man, I used to, you know, every night coming home, I, you know, grab a whiskey and sit down. And before long, I was yelling at my wife and telling my kids to get out of my face. And it's like, you know, we're a month into this thing, and they're like, it's weird. I go home now, and it's like I'm peaceful. You know what? What, what happened? And I'm like, well, you, you let God, you're letting God remodel your your soul, because that needs to happen. Your soul needs remodeled, and that, you know. That takes work. We're getting ready to sell our house right now out here in Hawaii, and we've got people working on the roof, and they're working all over. And it's loud, and it's noisy, and it's and sometimes you hear a guy that you know lets out a shriek. I mean, this is like, come on, you know, everybody's trying to get this house up to speed. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> and it's the same kind of intensity, but it's also, man, it's so great at the end of the day to be able to walk outside and look at what happened and the newness of it. Mm-hmm. And every day these guys get to turn around, and I help them turn around and, and look at themselves. And, and every day, you know, it's like today we got the roof fixed, you know. Next week it's the plumbing. You know, the week after that we're going to be building a new, a new wing onto your soul, you know, all these things. And it's like, and guys grasp that and they see hope in that and they get over that. And then, man, they shout yeah. it from the rooftops because, you know, they did it. And I'm so proud of them when they do. And these are high-flying leaders. You know, these are people that are highly successful. And what happened is they – they just hit a bump in the road, and it became more than a bump. It became a wall, and they can't get over it, and they can't tell anybody because mm-hmm. everybody mm-hmm. sees them as just a stud. Yep. Everybody goes, that person, man, it's anybody, you know. It's like when I got a divorce, I can't tell you how many people came up to me and went, well, what are we going to do now? You were our hope. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you were our hope. And I'm like, wow, okay. Uh, so these guys are walking through that. They're like, Gil, if I ever admitted this, I don't know what would happen. And I'm like, well, let's start here. Let's start here, and how bad do you want it? And, uh, man, it is, it's, I don't like to say it's actually fun. And it's fun for them because yeah, they yeah. get to see all the great things that God will do, and I get to be the one who's their tour guide. And that's what I do. I'm just a tour guide. And I walk them through, and they go, oh, look at that over there. I go, yeah, what do you want to do with that? What do you want to do with that? Do something with that? You know, I think we can make that into a, an incredible rec center. You want to do that? You know what I mean? So, like, we just kind of walk these things through, and it's 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 just so great. You know, I don't know what else. I mean, it's just really, I don't know. Do you have anything else you want to add to that? Or? I mean, it's, it's, it's the path to success for people that are struggling with those yeah. things. Yeah, because they want to go home and have success there, too, and they're not. 
Right. You know, and then they're embarrassed because they're numbing it out, and they don't want anybody to know. It might be pornography. It might be whatever it would be, right? But they're numbing it out. They're muting the world, and they, they're like, I'm not like this. I'm supposedly, you know, I'm supposed to be, you know, Braveheart. I'm William Wallace. What are you talking about? Yeah. It's like, well, how about we all just be human and walk this through? Mm. So it's really um, – and to get those people, those highly successful people that come to the place where they're willing to see their whole lives be successful and they're willing to do whatever it takes to do that, man, that's – that's the lottery, baby. <laughs> That's beautiful. I'm so glad you're bringing that forward and from your own challenge, turning it into an important service in the world. That's huge. Um, Beth, we'll get to the healing in a minute, but I want to know more about the relationship work you're doing together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's amazing. Um, well, you know, before in your words, which I totally agree with, before the COVID crap, <laughs> Um, before the COVID crap, we were starting to do in-person retreats on um, relationships, and the first one we did was called um, hashtag Why is Love So Hard? Um, you know, we've both gone through divorce. We both have learned a lot. We've worked together really hard on bringing what we each have brought, you know, garbage to the table and working things through and learning how to do that um, the way that we communicate with each other through conflict, um, I didn't know was even possible. So when we got together, we felt like, you know, there are so many people, again, that feel, like Gil's talking about, you know, shame or guilt of, you know, well, if I go to a relationship retreat, you know, I don't want anybody to know I'm here or, you know, um, or to look like I have a problem or admit that I'm divorced. Well, everybody at our last retreat, I think, was divorced or heading in that direction anyway. So, you know, I think we're taking a, a different position other than, you know, you hear about relationship retreats. Um, ours is not the norm. It's why is love so hard and come and bring all of your pain and nasty stories and everything you've gone through, and we're going to help you walk through that. Not, oh, just, you know, read together as a family and everything's fine. And I'm not bashing that, but we we come at things a little more edgy um, than than is, I think, mainstream because we know that that's really where people are. They just put a smooth veneer over it in public um, or, you know, when they're talking with others or whatever. So um, we started to do that, you know, before the COVID crap hit. And then, um, you know, we've, we've tried to do some of that online yet, and we're uh, putting an item in our um, shopping cart here soon as well at uh, besthealingsolutions.com and at uh, gillandbest.com. Uh, that, that is one of our retreats that we filmed so that people can still access that. Um, but I'm really excited about the relationship work, and we, we do that over the phone with people as well. Um, through, you know, over Zoom or, or something similar. Oh, you know, that's that's another option that we have. But, yeah, I, I think, you know, and, and I was a psychologist for years as well, and I think our approach to helping people with relationships is really fresh and, like I said, more edgy and real, um, that it really does help people. And the um, testimonials we had from our retreat would, would speak to that um, People just felt, felt really profound changes in their relationships, and a lot of times also with their relationship with themselves, of course, which then is helpful um, in the big picture too. So, yeah, that's so a Beth, little bit on that. Beth, can you can you hear me all right? Yeah. 
Okay, good. Um, can you describe the premise? You mentioned the, the unique um, communication and conflict solving. What, what kind of unique com communication are we talking about? Oh, with Gil and I? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, really. Um, well, and we walk through people through this as well that we work with. It's um, how to fight fair and forgive fast. And you can jump in here too if I forget. Gil has a much better memory than I. Um, <laughs> but it's really walking people through that and what that means and then looking at, okay, what are your uh, conflict styles? There are different conflict styles. Um, are you a turtle that goes into your shell? Are you a skunk that sprays people? Um, you know, looking at, okay, we, have, we go through what are conflict styles and then, you know, or what's your major one? You can have several. So that's one of the things we do. And then we talk about, um, you know, what are within that then, how do you find a solution out of your type of conflict style? And then we also talk about um, if you have a certain conflict style, what does that really mean about you? In other words, how did you get to that place? Like what what were the you know painful moments in your life? What led you to be this way in arguments? This doesn't happen by osmosis. It's automatic programming, you know, from your childhood and family issues and things like that and what you've seen and taken in. So we go through that and then how based on that do you learn to resolve? How do you learn to resolve? And um walking through those steps with people. Yeah. Do you want to jump in there? Yeah. yeah. I I think Nicole, I think the, the big shift is this. In our culture, we see the wedding day as the finish line, when actually the wedding day is the starting line. And so even though we have singles come to our retreats and they yeah. come and they have a, a blast and we you know, help them be able to navigate their next steps, mm -hmm. um, for married people, it's, well, you know, well, the culture said when we got married, like we all, you know, I, I threw my garnering and he, you know, we smashed a, a glass, and it was like everybody clapped for us, and then it's like, all right, good luck. <laughs> bye. You know, we do all this premarital counseling, and then when the marriage hits, we're like, okay, you're good, bye. Yeah. And they're going, I need some postmarital. And matter of fact, with, the, with the, the COVID thing, you know, divorce rates are skyrocketing, not just, you know, your addictive issues. I mean, you're talking about people that really had to live together it. that had never that had found other ways to avoid most of us in our culture are very much avoiders and so they found ways to avoid well when you're under the covid deal right it's like now you're yeah you're in lockdown with these people it's like <laughs> it's like the purge you know the movie right it's like man we got a lock down here for a for a night and for these guys it was locking down for what six eight twelve plus months and they're and then they're like okay um beth gill um everything I was hiding from has now come out. You know, it's like one thing I liked about COVID was is that we're all like a tube of toothpaste, and COVID squeezed us, and we got to see what came out. That's the only way you can tell what's in a tube of toothpaste is getting squeezed. And this last year, all of us got squeezed, and we got to see what came out of our hearts. We got to see it. And then, and then it's like, okay, what do you want to do about that? I mean, what a gift, right? Like, what a gift. Thank you, COVID, and all the BS behind it. Thank you, though, for the gift of squeezing me so I could see what's really inside me. Because, man, most of us are image managers, and we're really good at it. Yes, yes, yes. And our culture has allowed that. Our culture actually speaks into, okay, guys, here's how you can keep doing things. 
you know, still buying our products without getting caught with this, you know, like, so, so it's like, you know, when people finally go, okay, there I am, and sometimes they get caught, and then they go, well, my wife told me to give you a call, Gil, because if I didn't, you know, mm-hmm. she's out of here. Um, but I really, I really like what COVID did because the starting point now is the wedding and people, the wedding day, and people are realizing that, man, if I want this to last, I'm going to have to develop not just skills. And Beth and I will give you tools for your, for your you know, toolkit, but really I want a new heart. That's what I really want. You know, skills are one thing, and again, we can even hide behind those. How many people do you know that are super knowledgeable? They have master's and doctorate degrees, and they're idiots. A lot. Because they never learned how to develop their heart. They knew how to get through classes and get good grades, but really on the other side of that, they're just like major a-holes. And so, and so what we want to do there is say, okay, there you are. That's good. Good. It got, you got squeezed. That came out. Now let's go. And um, so Beth and I have actually found it really, <laughs> really refreshing because we don't have to sit there and have them say, you know, and hide from us too. They don't get to hide. You know, there yeah. it is. Let's deal with it. And then they do, and it's awesome. Well, and one of the things I think a different way that we've looked at relationships and other you know, traditional relationship retreats is, and Gil, you just triggered this when you were talking, is one of the main focuses. A major focus that we have is doing your inner work. It's not just, okay, do this as a couple, do this as a couple. It's doing your inner work and cultivating that and doing your inner, like, childhood trauma work, looking at yourself and, and like, as an objective observer, you know, learning to do that and watching yourself in relationship and what your patterns are. So really a lot of it is looking inside and working through things rather than just, well, this is what they do. So, you know, this is what my partner does. So now, you know, that's what the focus is. So now we have to do this more as a couple. It's not like that. It's it's really going in and doing uh, inner work. And that's the answer. And then if both people are doing that, that's even more of a beautiful answer. Yes, indeed. Well, here's where we're at. We're about, oh, my gosh, is this flying? 